Ephesians chapter 5, and we want to start there in verse 21. I'm not brave enough to start in verse 22. We need to get verse 21. Uh, all right, and let's, let's, let's read this. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. we got to cover that. You don't want to start on verse 22 there where he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. That could get you in a little hot water. It is what God says, but you, you want to start with the free, previous verse because as soon as I start there and start in, all the men go home, beat their chests like silverbacks and say right there, the preacher said it, you got to be subservient to me. And see, you got to have verse 21, men. You're going to submit. You've got to be submitted to each other. Have you ever seen that before? Yes, you're going to. You know what that word submission means? It means yielding one to another. Yes, and all of us men, we understand. Mom ain't happy. Nobody's happy. Learn how to be a little yielding in the home. Now, let's read on here. Let's get verse 22, wives. And again, I'm on a biblical view. Okay, I'm not giving you the latest worldly philosophy or vain genealogy or a, a, a science falsely so-called. I'm giving you God's perspective, what God feels, what God thinks that a Christian home and how it should be run. And so it's not popular today. So what I'm preaching, what I'm getting ready to say is not going to be popular. But it is biblical and it is a Christian to be like this. And we do not make apologies for that. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband, here we go, is the head of the wife, even as Christ, there it is, is the head of the church. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, about verse 2 and 3, will also go with this because he tells you that the man must be in subjection to Christ. Men, let me give you a gold nugget. Uh, if you want your wives to be in subjection to you, then you need to be in subjection to Christ. If you find your wife not in subjection, that's a good indicator over 80% success, that you are not in submission to Christ. Loving submission. You will love your wife into submission as Christ loves you into submission. Boy, that's a great biblical truth. It's a great biblical truth. And he says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, Husbands, he's back on the husbands. This is actually about husbands. Husbands, you love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man... Leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, 
and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today as we look at this and we uh, bring and deliver another message for the men. Help us to be able to get help from the Word of God and where there are deficiencies, help us to see uh, the wisdom in aligning ourselves to you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now you make sure that you get by and greet our visitors uh, and you be kind and courteous to them, and I know you would. Uh, we also remember those that are traveling. We've got about, we've got a whole family out uh, that's uh, about 10 or 12. I was up here counting them. Uh, they're out on vacation, and so you pray that they have safety. I've been praying for them because our roads are crazy, and pray that they have travel mercies and vacation safety. It's good to get away. It's good to get away and have vacation time. Get away. Uh, the Bible, uh, the Lord even told to the disciples, He said, you need to come apart. Come apart for a little uh, respite. Uh, and he says they hadn't, didn't even have enough time but, to, but to, to eat. And, of course, the saying is you come apart before you come apart. And so vacation time is good. Now, let's get into this. Marriage is instituted by God, and it's not good. The Bible says that a man uh, uh, should be alone. So marriage is a good thing. I don't care what the world tells you today. Marriage is a good thing. It's between one man and one woman. Now, I'm told you, I'm giving you God's biblical view on this thing. God covered this. The Lord covered this in His earthly ministry. He says, in the beginning, God made them male, female. I preached to you last week. Now, I don't care what you do, whatever you want to do. You can change and mutilate your body all you want. You can get into all the gender dysphoria you want, but you cannot change your chromosomes. A man is an XY and a woman is an XX. You can't change that about yourself. You need to be okay with your gender, men. It's okay to be a man. I don't care what Hollywood tells you. Hollywood's trying to make men effeminate, trying to make men passive, and they're trying to destroy what we call the patriarchy. Hey, God has and does an instituted authority and authority structures. What's happened is that we as children of God and Christians have abused it. Now, having been raised as an independent Baptist my whole life, I've seen this thing abused quite a bit. Uh, where, where, when, when you begin to preach on the home and the man's role in the home, all of a sudden the man hears what he wants to hear and he thinks that makes him king. No, you got to win at Uno, Jenny tells me, before you can be king. And so we, Jenny and I play three, three hands of Uno every morning. If I win those three games, I'm king of all the world. <laughs> Right. She just lets me think that. Because <laughs> I told her, I said, I don't want to go through the rest of the day feeling like a loser. i got to be a winner. <laughs> Jenny helps me. She's my helpmeet. But it doesn't mean you're king. It means you have an awesome responsibility as the head of the household. And I told you that in a biblical marriage, a biblical marriage has a purpose. It has structure. And it has order. You get that. Uh, a lot of homes today are lacking structure. Uh, I was observing uh, yesterday, and I've observed it a lot. I've, I observe it when I go out and buy groceries. I observe it when I'm in Walmart. There is structure lacking in homes today. There's not a proper structure. 
And the father is not fulfilling his role biblically. Most men today decide to lead from behind. They're going to lead from behind. They're too, uh, uh, too put out or, or enamored by a smartphone. And so they're constantly on their smartphone as mama is forced to make the decisions and go on and march forward to get things done. You say, oh, you don't see that. You next time you're at a restaurant, you sit down there while you're eating and watch as husband and wife teams come in. And I guarantee you, it'll be the man trampling along behind with his shoulders hunched like this on his little smartphone. And it'll be his wife that's making the seating arrangement while he's doing what we call counting tile. Oh, no. You say, how do you know that? Because I do that. (laughs) (laughs) At least men have enough sense to say you delegated that. I'm a delegator. Delegate it. But don't, in public, don't be hunched with your shoulders all hunched down, playing on a little smartphone like you're a little teenager. Come on, be a man. Walk like a man. Be a man. You got that free. It wasn't in the message. I told you before, 80% of all marriages fail due to the faults of the husband. Amen. So if you come to me for marriage counseling, you, I'm, I'm just warning you now, I will be harder on the men than I am the wives. And all the ladies said amen. I will be. Ladies, I'm on your side. Because... <laughs> And the marriage counseling that I've done, the problems I've tried to help people with, it always come back down to the man. 80% of the time. 50% of all marriages fail. 60% of all second marriages fail. Those are just the t- statistics. Now, my hope in ministry is knowing that people can change. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe there's some things that you need help with. Uh, Let me put it to you like this. No real relationship is without conflict. If you've got a real relationship where your wife is free to express her thoughts, her feelings, and how she thinks without fear of reprisal or, or, or countering from you, your relationship will at some point involve a little conflict. It just will. That's a real relationship. Here's our problem. We don't understand how to resolve our conflicts. You want to know why? Because we won't submit to one another. We're not going to yield uh, to one another. And men, God is hardest on you. He never commands the woman to love her husbands. He says the older women's got to teach the younger women how to do it. Ladies, you have to be taught how to love a man. Because by the time you raise a couple boys into manhood, you're thinking, Lord, help us. Amen. I mean, when God made Adam, and you've heard me say this, I'll repeat it. And God made Adam and says, now look, I need you to take care of the garden. Here was Adam, the first man, in a perfect environment, no sin in the world. And there was no weeds, there was no stickers, and no poison ivy. He says, now you keep up with the garden. You prune it, you pick it, and and you can eat from it, except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he sent him on his way, and he's like, oh, Lord, help me. And he had to make a woman. To help him with it. He just did. Of course I've been told. And my mother told me this. He said Adam was the prototype. And said I can do better. And made a woman. That's what my mom said. Knowledge. That's what mom said. Mom might be right on that. I'm 51 years old. She might have something to that. You know. Uh, you just. She raised 
three of us boys, <laughs> some of y'all might need to talk to her about that. How was Todd when he was a kid? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> you maybe don't want to do that. But my hope is that people can change, and people can change. A lot of times we do and act the way that we do because we lack knowledge. And see, the gospel can bring about change to the individual. But change will not happen until you're sick of yourself or your current situation that you're in. You will find that to be a truth uh, in this life. You cannot help somebody until they are sick of themselves and sick of their current situation and they want change. The prodigal son. God gives us this example. Nobody could help the prodigal son until, what did the Bible say? He came to himself. He was sick of laying around and wallowing in the hog pen. Uh, mommies and daddies, you hear me say this a lot. Quit taking bread and water to the boy down in the hog pen. You know, they will get back to God quicker if you quit taking bread and water down to them. Let them pay their own bills if they're out of the home. Let them make it in life or fail in life. Uh, experience will teach them if they won't listen to wisdom of the parents. You say, Dan, that's cruel. That's mean. Let me tell you something. It's not as mean as you think it is because the prodigal son would have never come back to the father if the daddy was down there taking him bread and water while he decided to live in the hog pen. You will not change till you're sick of your sin and sick of yourselves. So if you fail in life, it won't be because God failed. This book, it won't be because this Bible failed you. It won't be because the Holy Spirit failed you. It will be because you failed. It will be the human element that fails every time. God never fails. The principle that God gives us never fails. So my first point today for men. Number one, and we see in verse 23, he says, For the husband is the head of of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. I see in men today, husbands, lazy leaders. I see absent leaders. Let me tell you something, men. I didn't take the time to read the first half of this chapter, but I did cover it and start there in verse 21. If you're not going to submit to God, because chapter 5, verse 1 starts with, Be therefore followers of God. He's addressing everybody. He says, Be therefore followers of God and as dear children and walk in love. Man, your wives... Husbands, your wives will never walk in love with you if you're not walking in love with God. That's going to take some leadership on your part. It's going to take you having to get up and say, guess what? I'm not playing on the smartphone yet. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend some time in prayer and walk in love with my Savior. I mean, come on now. Uh, you, <laughs> you expect others to follow your lead, then you need to follow Christ. You cannot be a leader until you've learned how to be a follower. You can't give everybody out a position of authority. It goes to their head. You want to know why? Because they've never learned to follow. And that's why when I get to preaching and setting the order up, the biblical order in a home, and I tell the men that they're heads of their own households, they go home and begin to abuse that thing. You want to know why? They've never learned how to follow. 
They've never learned how to follow. They are not in subjection to Christ. They're just using the words of the preacher as an excuse to twist something and try to say that the preacher said that I can be king in my house. I'm king. Being the head of your home is, does not make you a dictator, men. I got news for you. Being a pastor, the head of this church, does not make me a dictator. Uh, the Bible says, not a Lord. I'm not a Lord. And men, you're not lords in your home. I mean, come on now. That's part of the problem. This thing has been abused. Like I told you before, I've always been a Baptist. I was saved at a young age. I've seen a lot of peacocks come and go. And I'm going to tell you, that's why it's got a bad rap. That's why Christianity is viewed negatively today. Because people abuse what God has said. And they're absent in their leadership because they won't walk with God. Verse 8 says they won't walk as children of light. And look with me again at verse 15. A man will not walk circumspectly. That means be aware of your surroundings and what's going on. Most men today in their home are clueless of what's going on. Let me get on that for a minute. Men, if you've got boys that are getting ready to come into teen years, let's let me... I haven't forgot being a teen yet. Okay? Dads, this is what you're looking for. You're not looking, think with me now, the psychology. Your son at 11, 12, 30, it's going to start right around 11 or 12. They're not going to do acts of violence and open defiance unless there's something mentally wrong with them because they know they can't dominate you. But it will begin mentally. And it begins in the spirit, in the look. You say, how do you know? Have mama, you just step outside. Make the son think that you're gone. Or come home early from work one day. Have it set up with mama. And have mama tell son to take the trash out and see what he does. Now you'll find, men, that your boys will be a lot more defiant towards ladies and their mothers than they ever will to you. When they're in front of you, they're going to be great. You know why? Because you're going to spend some personal man time with them. Like my dad did with me. I got 16 once and I told you this a couple weeks ago. I was rough and tough. I was lifting weights. I could run. I was running, lifting weights. I could weigh 150 pounds. Can you believe it? <laughs> and I could bench press 300 pounds. And so I got to beating up on my little brother. He was eight years younger than me. He was eight. I was 16. We had boxing gloves. The neighbor gave us boxing gloves. And man, I was a boxer. Oh, yeah. Oh, wanted to fight. And so I got to roughing him up a little too much. And Dad said, hey, put the gloves on with me. I'll let you hit me. I, oh, no, Dad, no, I don't want to do that. Dad said, I give you permission. All right, Jeremiah was ringing that bell. And boy, I'm like, mm, 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 mm. All right, Dad, you ready? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Dad said, don't worry, son. All right, and Jeremiah, all I remember is ding, ding. And I woke up, folded up in the, up against the wall. <laughs> you say, what happened? I don't know. You have to ask Dad. <laughs> Dad said he tagged me with a loving touch one time right on the button. And it was over. Wow. Fathers, you need to have some of that father bonding time with your sons. They need to know what a man, how, to, how a man handles things sometimes. We got too much estrogen running around in our homes when the boys get that age and not enough testosterone. Too many of these young boys walking around like girls. Now, why do you think they think they're girls? They need some man time. 
But men, you'll find your son. You won't know. It's, it's in the genes. They just immediately go brain dead somewhere around 11, 12, 13. They get defiant towards ladies. They get defiant towards their mothers. And men, fathers, you do not let them disrespect their mothers. And you do not let them disrespect their grandmas or any lady. It is not proper. And you need to be looking at the spirit. When mama tells them to do something, if they don't jump to it, you need to be on them like white on rice. Amen. I'll tell you, I pulled a couple of those little things a couple of times and my dad was around. I'd put a big smile on my face for dad when he was looking. As soon as he turned his back, I'd give my mama. Hmm. See, my mama's got a little fight in her. Don't you look at me like that. And dad would come out and I'd look at her like, I, I didn't do nothing. Until dad caught me at it. Oh boy. Lazy leadership. He says, you're the head of the home. Most men are leading from behind. Men, let me tell you something. That didn't happen overnight. Here's probably how that happened. When you begin to court your wife, your future wife, you let her plan all the dates where you were going. You let her uh, uh, plan all the activities, and then she picked you up in her car and probably spent her money. I'm No, I'm not really exaggerating. I get told that so many times. Ladies, <laughs> if you're not married yet and that's what you're doing, move on. Move on. He's not going to be a provider. He's leading from behind. He is a loser. <laughs> Can I tell this? My daughter, it's before Will come along. I like Will. Still ain't paid your dowry yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some dude come in, met Mr. So-and-so. I looked at him. I seen him. And I said, Kara, I need to talk with you. I took her and I said, he's a straight up dud. Get rid of him. Or I will. I could just tell. I can tell. Straight up loser. He ain't going to provide for nothing. He ain't going to plan nothing. He don't have vision. He doesn't even know who he is yet. Lazy leaders. And this probably happened to you because you allowed your wife to do all the planning. I didn't say you couldn't delegate. But don't you have an opinion? Come on. Step up. The God said, you're the head of the household. How's this woman? Here's what I get out of the men. Well, my wife won't submit to me. My wife doesn't have no confidence in me. Well, duh, you can't even reserve a table. Seriously. She might have had to show you how to put gas in the car. I don't know. I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. You should be a leader. You should be the head. You should be out in front. Being a leader means proactive. You should see things. You should learn how to anticipate. Snap, snap, anticipate. See what's going on and plan and prepare for it. It shouldn't be your wife that has to go, Hey, I'm trying to help you with this. Hey, get up. Hey, it's time to get up for work. My wife does not get me up to go to work unless it's Sunday morning. I don't want to go to church today. I want to stay home. You can't. You're the pastor. <laughs> no, it's not like that. I'm up early, 
worked early, got up early most of my life. It wasn't my wife that had to get up and rouse me and, please get up, please, you're going to lose this job. Oh, please, get up. And, oh, man, you'll find if your wife doesn't have confidence, it's because you're a lazy leader. And you wouldn't follow somebody you didn't have no confidence in either. So why should your wife? She might love you and has chose to stay with you. My Lord, you need help. You know, I said this to my wife this morning. I said, you know something? We get a new job, we got to go through training. We go play a sport, we got to be trained. It comes to get married, and nobody wants training, counseling. It comes to raise children, and nobody wants to know nothing about it. We don't spend no money on that. We got all the information in the world. All we got to do is download it, and we can study it. Men, I'm telling you, I'm talking to you. If you want to know more about being a better husband, if you want to know more about child rearing, why don't you get you a Christian book and electronically download it and read that thing and educate yourself. Quit blaming your daddy. Well, my dad, I come from a bad home. Okay. You're, how old are you? Well, I'm 34. Oh, when are you going to be responsible for yourself? Step up. You still got daddy issues. You still think your daddy was perfect, don't you? I did till I was about 36. And I, all of a sudden, it hit me one day. My dad, he can't do everything. He's not the smartest. He's not the toughest no more. What in the world happened? Well, light bulb, come on. I, I, I was a little behind times. We all go through that stuff. We wrestle with that. You know, so my excuse was, well, I don't know because my daddy, you know, it's Todd's Todd. Get over it. Get your book on it. Talk to your pastor about it. But there's no excuse to be a lazy leader. Men, let me give you a little something about leadership. Having owned a business for a good number of years, over 25 years, there's no such thing as an empty vacuum. If you abdicate your leadership role in the home, somebody's got to be the leader. It will not stay 50-50. It's, it's not going to stay unfilled. It's just not going to be a demilitarized zone. Some, somebody else fills in your absence. No such thing. You either, and by this, and by leadership, we're talking about loving leadership. We're talking about the leadership that Christ taught us. Remember? Christ taught the disciples. He girded on a towel and he was willing to serve and he washed the feet of the apostles, even Judas. And the Lord says, that's how we are to love our wives. Loving leadership. Not dictatorship. Loving leadership, but not absent leadership. I think we got this in our mind that we think passiveness is loving. No, passiveness is not submitting Passiveness is something completely different than submissive. The wife has become the head of the house because the husband is absent in spirit, soul, and body. Again, 
If you don't believe me, go to a restaurant. Watch the couples as they come in. Watch the men when they bring their wives and families in. He's not even there engaged in conversation. He's on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, go ahead and order for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what I want. Oh, what? Where am I at? Oh, oh, oh. You think I'm lying. You just observe that the next time. You say, well, I don't, I don't watch. Other. You need to watch. Walk circumspectly. Know what's going on around you. We're disengaged. You ever see the teens now walking down through the mall? There's five of them in a group. None of them talking to each other. They're all like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, technology. You've come a long way, baby. And the boys are following along behind. <laughs> learning how to be passive, learning how to be lazy. You see, we got to be able to walk in love with Christ. Men, when you spend time with Christ, it will not make you weaker. <laughs> it'll make you stronger, but it'll make you love better. You'll be more considerate, more compassionate, and more uh, forthputting as far as thinking about the needs of your spouse and your family. Men, if you see the needs, you need to take the lead. Servant leadership is not about dictating. It's not about telling your wife, do it or else. <laughs> Might get you slapped depending on the woman. <laughs> Men, being a leader, everything is open for appeal. Your wife should be your best friend and your best counselor and confidant. Everything should be open for appeal. You say, hey, I think we need to do that. Don't get all upset and mad when she says, eh, I don't know about that. Well, I want to eat two pizzas Friday night. I don't know. I think he was on that diet. It might not be better if you do that. What? Just let me be me. No. Men, everything should be open for appeal from your wife. Your leadership should have her best interest in heart. She doesn't have confidence in you because your decisions do not have her best interest at heart. God's decisions, Christ's decisions, had the church's best interest at heart. And he said, that's how we got to love our wives. He's commanded us to love our wives. Do you see, ladies, how 80% of all marriage problems is the fault of the husband? Because they're not loving you like Christ loved the church. That's rough because Jenny takes notes and I got to live my preaching, practice it. I try to tell her it's really not for me. It's not for her not to listen. It's for everybody else because we're at another level. She won't let me get away with that. Men, let me give you this. Your leadership should have her best interest at heart. You think with me for a second. If you can't drive impaired, you can't work impaired, what makes you think you can lead a household impaired? That's right. You need to pay attention to what you're doing as men. The wife will not be in subjection if she has no confidence in you because you're a goofball. He said, man, I don't like that word. Who can't get his act together. 
women are not dumb. And if you live long enough, you'll see that a lot of times they can see things quicker, better than you can. Men, learn to work off your wives' strengths. You're not the best in every situation, and you're not the best decision maker in every situation. A good leader understands that. I, as a leader in this church, I try to cast vision, and I have some men that are not yes men. And I'll bounce it off of them, and I want their honest opinion on what they think to come back. Why? Because I've learned in 51 years, I don't always have the best idea. I don't always have it all figured out. But I tell you what, you, again, begin to let your wife start helping you make decisions, you begin to talk, communicate, you'll get to making better decisions. But you have that responsibility to initiate that. They're lazy leaders, but they have a lean love. That's right. Look with me, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, boy. This is a Christ-like love. Men, husbands, you need to love your wives like Christ loved the church. He gave. It's a giving love. Love, the way God defines it, is not an emotion. Love is a commandment. It's a principle which creates an emotion. Today, the world, the devil, they, have, they call love an emotion which is supposed to drive right behavior. It's not. You do what God tells you to do. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. You know, that's a lot, that's a lot of leniency, men, that you give your wives. You know how God loves us. When we step out of line with God, does God immediately drop the hammer on us? Does, a lot of times, God don't even say anything. He gives us some time, don't he? It's a sacrificial love. He says as he gave himself. It, he sacrifices his time, his desires, and his treasures for her. Get off the smartphone. I love smartphones. I love technology. But not when it comes between me and my wife. My wife and I, that's real. Men, playing on the smartphone... Sitting by your wife is not reality. You're carrying on something that's digital while you're missing out on reality, a real relationship right there. Communication. Communication. We have lean loves. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about her. It's a saving love. You spare from the bumps in life. Hey, sometimes the bill collectors might begin to call. You might lose a job. Hey, don't let her take the phone call. You take it. Man, I need to clarify this. You know, I've told you that Jenny writes the bills out in the home. And I, I let her write the bills out. She's better at it than I am. She's got all the dates set. She's got it written down. But that did not mean, men, that I don't know what's going on. I know the balances. I know what we owe and who we owe it to. And I tell her when to pay it and how much to pay, whether we're making a minimum payment or I'm going over the minimum payment to pay something off earlier. But I know. 
I needed to clarify that because some of the men that heard me say that a few weeks back thought, oh, right, she's got to do it all. No, I'm not talking about who's doing the administrative work in the home, and it's perfectly okay, but you need to know exactly what's going on. As a pastor, I know exactly what's going on in the church. I, I open every piece of mail that comes in. I don't run the checking account. As of right now, my name's not on the checking account, but I know where the pennies are. I know where it's at, and I know where it's going, and I know what bills are being paid and how much. But somebody else does it, and that's why we have a business meeting at the end, because I'm accountable to you. It's not secret. Not to the membership. When the church agrees to do something, you don't do whatever you want behind closed doors. That's called accountability. We're lacking that in our churches, but we're lacking it in our homes. No accountability in our homes. We have a lean love. Let me ask you this, husbands. Do you know your wife's primary love language? Do you even know her love language? You want to know something about it? Get you the book on the five love languages. I've taught it. I've taught a series of, of messages here because God has a love language. Does anybody here know what God's love language is? Primary? It's acts of service. That's right. First John chapter 5, about verse 2. Dialect obedience. What is your wife's primary love language? It's going to either be acts of service it's either going to be quality time. It's going to be gifts, words of affirmation, and physical touch. Those are the five primary love languages, and they each have dialects. Jenny's primary, and it's running real neck and neck with acts of service. That is my primary love language. I don't want to hear you tell me you love me. I need you to get my first cup of coffee in the morning. That's what says you love me, acts of service. But Jenny's second love language is acts of service also. So guess who gets the second cup? You know how I know it's time for the second cup? Her coffee cup, like that, when she's done with the first one. And you know what I do? I get up and I get the second one. Why? Because that's her love language. And her love tank, her emotional needs must be net, met. Most marriages fail because the spouse's emotional needs are not being met. I'm not talking about the physical needs. Spiritual, I've said the emotional, we are emotional creatures. Children go astray because their emotional needs are not met. What are your children's love languages? You should know that. My wife's first primary love language is quality time. Her dialect is just quality time. Just we got to be together. Now, sometimes people's quality time is they want to do an activity together. But Jen is very very uh she she loves just being together just being in the same presence so you see us out all the time together anywhere we're at why because that's her primary love language and i'm making sure as the husband the head of the household that her love tank is full and men it is not a bad thing to ask your wife every day is your love tank full she'll be if she'll be she'll be honest with you no then what can i do that's that submitting, what can I do to help you? 
Men, that's your responsibility. It shouldn't be her when you come home from work, getting you the iced tea, massaging your feet, doing everything for you, doing your dirty laundry, and then you never consider her. That is not headship in the home. That's a complete different problem. And the man shouldn't be laying drunk somewhere in the bedroom while the whole world goes by and the mother's forced to make the decisions in life. She will have no confidence in you. Get your act together. But I see a lacking labor. Verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth. That's where I get it. Husbands, your job is to nourish your wife, to cherish your wife. And men, that's why I started out. You do not need to teach or allow your young boys to disrespect the wife whom you cherish. Why? Because by not doing anything about it, you're teaching them how to be disrespectful and abusive to their future wife. Why do you think we have the... The, the domestic abuse problems that we have. It's because parents, because 80% of the time the daddy's got his head stuck in the sand and while Junior's running around being disrespectful and tyrannical to his mother, she's got her hands full trying to keep up with the mess and there he is playing on a smartphone oblivious to it. And then he can't figure out why he's got to go to juvie to go visit his son when they get about 17, 18, 19 years old because you're a lazy leader and you have a lacking labor be a provider i'm about done now i'm about done men i, I get but men you'll take a whole lot more than the ladies will ladies have done run me off but you know i'm telling you the truth and it's bible it's bible be a provider the bible says and i got on this last week if you won't provide for your own you're worse than an infidel be a worker learn how to cherish your wife learn how to nourish your wife like you do for yourself Nobody ever has to tell me around 2 o'clock every day that I need a cup of coffee and a donut. And I, I've told this church, they're always worried about, preacher, you need to get here when you're having a food. Don't you ever worry about this preacher getting to food. You never have to worry about that. Just like you never have to worry about a man taking care of himself when it comes to the things he likes. But men, you're supposed to be thinking about your wives like that. When you get that cup of coffee and that donut, get her the coffee she likes and the donut she likes. You know, you'll be proud of me. I had to spend some alone time praying, of course. And I went to Dunkin' Donuts and got me a cup of coffee, and I was supposed to get two sour cream cake donuts because I like cake donuts. You know what they gave me? <laughs> they gave me two yeast donuts, a cup of coffee. So you know what I did? Pulled over, I drank my coffee, I had one donut. And then I had to try to figure out how I was going to get rid of the evidence so Jen didn't know, because I didn't get her anything. So here's what I did. I went home, and I brought the evidence, and I brought the other donut, and I said, Honey, <laughs> you're flesh of my flesh, spirit of my spirit. You drink what I drink and eat what I eat. I brought you something. Now, I don't know when she figured it out. Probably immediately. <laughs> She's pretty sharp. So she eat her donut, and she drank the rest of my black coffee. 
But I had, I had her for a few seconds thinking that I had brought her something. <laughs> of course, we had a conversation about that later, what really happened. They gave me the wrong donuts, else I'd eat both of those puppies. <laughs> but as a rule, when I go out, if I'm coming home, I make sure I get her a little something to cherish and nourish her, especially when she's worked hard that day. I know she likes those caramel caramel lattes. I know she liked from Starbucks the chocolate chocolatey chip with the whipped cream. And so every once in a while I'll go get her that and bring it home to her just specially for her. Why? Because it says I care because one of her other love languages is gifts. Just thank God she don't have expensive taste. Generally a candy bar gets me out of a lot of trouble. The point is, you need to cherish and nourish your wife. Your wife, you're having problems because you're having problems in your walk with Christ. You get your walk with God right, I promise you men. You get your walk with God right, I assure you, I promise you. Your wife will immediately fall in line or die of shock. I have never had a case fail yet where the husband says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk with Christ, a daily relationship, and I'm going to love my wife, whether she loves me back or not, like Christ loved the church. God loved us before we loved him. God loved us when we were unlovable. Men, let me give you a little something. Sometimes wives are unlovable. Certain little seasons. It's okay. You love them anyway. Just like Christ loves us. And I promise you, she'll be happy to be in subjection and to follow your leadership. But if she don't have confidence in you because you got your head stuck in the sand, you can't look at her and demand that she be in subjection to you. Because like I said, women are not dumb and they ain't following dumb. Thank God they didn't make a woman the head of the household because they'd rule the world. Because they're smart enough to do it and capable enough to do it. Learn to work from the strengths of your wife, but men, you cherish your wives, you love your wives, and do not be lazy leaders. Be loving leaders as Christ is to us. Let's all stand this morning.